So my number five is 12 Years a Slave. Um, Wait, let me try that again. Hey, everybody, we're back. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome hearing from Brock and Grandy. Uh, and uh, we're going to start with Ben's number five here. Yeah, well, my number five is 12 Years a Slave. It's, uh, well, first of all, Quedjil Ojafor has a standout, amazing Oscar performance. Um, I don't know if I'm going to pick him to win the Oscar, but he's certainly worthy of winning the Oscar. And it's it's the it's the slave movie. It's about the probably one of the most realistic and brutal depictions of what it was like to actually be an American slave through the eyes of a a freed Northman who um, gets conned and captured and imprisoned in the South as a slave. And you know, great movie, loved it. Lots of fantastic imagery. I think that. Um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Magneto. Uh, <laughs> Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender had an amazing, amazing, creepy villain performance uh, where you can tell that he doesn't think of himself as a villain, but he's very villainous. Um, to me, this this only comes in at number five because I felt like the pacing was wrong in this movie. I felt like mm. there were long sections where I think the director was trying to have you know, long, meaningful stillness kind of shots where you mm. just, like, focus on Ejiofor's face for, like, two minutes. And, you know, they're all nice. It's all well put together. But it just – it lacked a certain momentum. It lacked a certain narrative momentum, even if that narrative is he's stuck in, as a slave and can't get out. When it finally came around, when the 12 years were up, it just felt like such a weird jolt to me. Like, it didn't – I feel like it just didn't flow in the movie – and it was one of the reasons why uh, I wrote ranked it a little bit lower. Plus, the torture porn, as yes. as brutal and realistic as it is, and I'm glad he put it in there. It just watching it is just very unsettling and a little bit too much. But Twelve Years a Slave, fantastic movie, very important for any young person to watch uh, to understand, you know, part of our our country's legacy. My number five is also 12 Years a Slave. Um, I didn't have the pacing issues that you did, but everything else I agree with. Um, yeah, phenomenal performances. Um, really just, I, I liked the long shots that, that you would do, that, that the director like put in. And you have a, a standout just, scene? You know, um, honestly, I think one of the things that sticks out to me is when they were they were going to lynch him and he's just in the yard all day and everyone is ignoring him and it's it was just like heartbreaking and it very very difficult to watch and the chi children were playing in the background yeah, too yeah it oh it was just it was it was unsettling it was it was like downright terrifying and so so was michael fassbender and his wife were both very very just chilling people um so number five great movie 12 years a slave important to watch my number five is a movie that just came out nationwide yesterday. Uh, it's called The Wind Rises. It's arguably how Miyazaki's last film, uh, so they say, as they said about the last two movies he made. Um, so there's an addendum for everybody who's listening. Um, it's about the early 1900s up through the end of the 1940s, so it spans a very long period of time. 
and it's a it's essentially a a young boy who dreams of being a uh, designer of planes who winds up being able to make planes and the only people that have the resources to do that are the government and the army so he winds up making planes for the army when really all he wants to do is just make planes and it goes through the earthquake and the great depression and it's really a beautiful beautiful film one of the things I would like to say without spoiling much of the plot because I know the rest of, of us haven't seen it here um, Usually Miyazaki's, the music that's used in the films is a lot of piano. Well, this is almost all stringed instruments. Mm -hmm. And it's, it has a very wispy feeling to it. A lot of the sounds being used in the movie of the engines starting and the planes moving and the rudders going are people's voices that have been blended in. It's a really, really mm -hmm. aesthetically interesting and fascinating movie. A lot of it takes place in dream time. A lot of it takes place in real time. And... Uh, it, it's really about a relationship of this man and his work with planes and the love of his life, his wife. And it's, it's really beautiful. And I hope he keeps making films. Me too, man. For yeah. Sure. Um, all right. My number five, before I jump into it, I want to give a tip of the cap to Ben and Ross for mentioning Spectacular Now mm. because I like the idea of taking something simple and, you know, you don't always have to trick out a film. Sometimes the coolest thing to do is to take something simple like the coming-of-age story and do it so goddamn well and so purely that it just becomes something new by virtue of its quality. And so I love Spectacular Now, but for me, the granddaddy of coming-of-age films this year is Blue is the Warmest Color. Mm. It's a, a th The way I've been describing it is it's a three-hour epic, Lawrence of Arabia on a young girl's face. Uh, <laughs> and it is... With all due respect that to... That's a beautiful face. Sounds, that. sounds a beautiful face. filthy, Brady. <laughs> I'm going to Lawrence of Arabia your face. <laughs> no, it's, it's face. more of Lawrence of Alabia. <laughs> Just white guy <laughs> in a black desert. Lawrence for all, of Alabia! <laughs> for, all the, for all the listeners oh right now, God. Brady is, is rubbing himself all over our faces. It's really gross. Uh, oh, Brady, sit back down. Sit back down. Sit back down. Put the dog back. Okay. <laughs> get, get him. Get him out of here. Um, okay. Yeah. So no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically as Ben said about this girl that we catch up with, who's a, a senior in high school in France, and so it is a lot. Uh, much has been made about the very graphic lesbian sex because it is about a girl finding out that she might like girls. But what it really is is just a girl – it's about a, a young girl experiencing love for the first time. Mm -hmm. But not just – it's not just this romantic kind of punchline of just like, oh, they're in love. Because it's also about breakups and about heartbreak. And it's basically – it is, uh, to me, the performance of the year. It's about following one of the most uh, amazing acting performances I've ever seen. This girl just carries this three-hour coming-of-age story of falling in and out of love, of learning, of graduating high school – and does it all with with her facial expressions, and it's it's amazing to see. And so I think it's a very true film about the pain of uh, of love found and lost. It's a good film about becoming educated, about a girl who wants to take on the world. Uh, it's about this girl who's hungry. We always see her eating, but in the end, she you know kind of ends up with a belly ache too. Uh, so it's about oh. uh, someone who wants to take in the world, but also you know finds out that there's a, also a lot of pain out there. Uh, so. For me, this is the performance that should have been nominated for and won Best Actress. But I think it's great that we have two landmark acting performances in Best Actress in the same year. I think that's fantastic. 
So yeah, go see this movie. Woohoo! All right, me. Lovely. Put, well put. Also, <laughs> Lawrence of Alabia. I just, I keep laughing. I'm going to be laughing all day. Well, good. Thank Laughter you, is, You're welcome. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. Laughter is the, the medicine of uh, <laughs> something. <laughs> well, I mean, Brady kind of set it up there, didn't he? Because he said, like, oh. it, Lawrence of Alabia on a woman's face. And it was, we all just looked at each other like, no, this is Lawrence real of Arabia. Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia on a girl's face. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, Peter, yeah. Peter O'Toole doing there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> Anywho. Um, I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, Quit playing with your Peter O'Toole. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. well, she's only 19. You she guys. didn't know any better. Rest in peace. All right. I'm going to do my, uh, my number five, which is um, the amazing uh, tone poem uh, known as Spring Breakers. Which, yeah. Um, yeah. Spring Break. In and out. Oh, my God. Spring Break. Oh, my God. You know that uh, that sound clip is actually uh, the sound clip from that Skrillex song is actually a chick who was doing speed cup stacking and she did it in seven seconds and then she goes oh my god she runs around the room for about three minutes going oh my god oh my god so anyway that's where that's from in case anybody didn't know you can look it up on YouTube uh, anyway Spring Breakers amazing tone poem of a film it's uh, in and out of sequence um, they kind of start to reframe uh, voiceover narration. Uh, with more and more graphic pictures as the the time goes on, kind of uh, it's basically it's a nightmare for anybody who's sending their daughter for college. Don't see it if you've got a daughter in college. Um, <laughs> James Franco is amazing. I keep saying look at my shit all the time on Counter Strike, and people <laughs> are like, huh? And <laughs> every now and then there's the the one guy who's just like, yeah, sure, it's in every color. So um, I think Brady's got a themed drink for something, you know, something like. Uh, oh, yeah, we're doing shots in every shots color. in every color. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, that's gonna be horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're gonna get so sick. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it was. It's just. I I don't really know how to talk about this film. Uh, I mean, we talked about it on our podcast about it, and I guess I did okay. But um, you know, it starts off tricking you into think that it's low budget. Uh, spoilerful. And uh, it's not. <laughs> it's just not. Uh, I mean, it's not super high budget, but I don't know. It's an amazing way to use uh, new digital filmmaking techniques as a pastiche, uh, which is really interesting because I feel like uh, a lot of the time people get spoiled by digital, and uh, this is a way that it used it to great effect. So, uh, you know, it's just very well done, very well made, and that's why it's my number five. Well, before I touch my number four, just a little shout out to Spring Breakers. It didn't make my list just because I, I couldn't figure out where to put it. There's too many good movies this year. But, you know, very underrated, like you said. Franco's performance was awesome. Very surreal. Very surreal, but a lot of – there's a lot more meaning and depth to it, which sort of comes out as the movie goes along. I mean, the first half is very much about just hot bodies and partying and slow-mo shots. Um, but a lot of that pays off later in the movie when you start to see the uh, the facade of this dream vacation of theirs start to crumble away because they've because of the the sin so quote unquote sin. Anyways, moving on, Spring Breakers, great. Uh, but number four I have is Before Midnight. Mm. Uh, another another shout out to the great Eric Linklater series, and I won't add too much more to s except for the fact that what I think this movie does as opposed to the first two. I mean, the first two could be roughly encapsulated as saying, uh, w 
how does it affect one when we when we are searching for our true love when we are searching for love and how that affects in, in that, that process and before midnight is about what do you do when you've already found it and so much effort in our society and our dating and all that stuff is all about finding the person that we love but not so much how do we deal with living with them because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how compatible and how loving you are you will have some incompatibilities and with enough stress and enough time, you will have a fight scene like they have in this movie, mm -hmm. which is one of the most well-acted and well-constructed relationship fight scenes ever. Like, one person says something important and directing and hurtful, and the other one responds flippantly and, and exaggerating, and which pisses off the first person who says something flippant and exaggerating, which comes back to the second person who now must defend themselves and actually address the hard-hitting criticism from before. And it's just like this cycle back and forth between being flippant and mean and angry and pissing each other off and then actually talking about the issues that you're talking about. But because there are so many emotions involved, it's just like you're not getting anywhere. Um, just phenomenal movie about relationships and love and uh, like, like all of the Linklater films. So that's my number four. Um, my number four is Gravity. Um, I've only seen this once. It was in the IMAX. It was it was absolutely an experience. It was like a ride. Um, I've never seen anything like it. It was gorgeous. I didn't know where I was. I felt like I was in space. Um, it was more like a ride than a movie. Um, people have a lot to say about the story. I didn't find that as important to me as just how visually amazing it was. Gravity. Number four. My number four is Fruitvale Station. And Ooh. it's at number four. And I, too, have spent a lot of time, like Tess, around the Fruitvale area. So I have a personal connection to this. Uh, I've, I've been in the store where he is when he goes and cuts meat in a store in that film. Mm -hmm. And that was very surreal. Uh, the gas station that he goes to. And the performance is my third favorite male acting performance of the year. I'd say it's only behind Christian Bale and Ejiofor. Uh It's right in there. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal. And the guy's like 24, <laughs> and he gives a performance that's better than Denzel Washington's Oscar-winning performance in Glory. So what else can I say? It. I stayed through the credits. I cried through the credits. I loved it. Yeah, he actually played... Uh Wallace in The Wire. Yeah, no, he's, he's a fantastic. big, big talent. Which I, was I uh, a him. while ago as a young teenager, but, you know, I'm glad to see him doing good work as he's grown up. Yeah. Okay, uh, my number four <laughs> is a really hard one to get people to see, I think, <laughs> and it's 12 Years a Slave. And, and, yes, part of that is that it's a, is, is a parade of horrors, and <laughs> people are <laughs> apprehensive <laughs> about going into that. But it's also you get this kind of criticism that, okay, I get it. So it's about like slavery is bad. Right. And the thing is, I can't come out and say it's not about that, but it's about that in, in interesting ways that wouldn't be apparent unless you saw it. To me, it's a movie about systemic rot, just about, mm -hmm. just a about rot and about kind of mutation too. Like the way something as insidious and horrible as slavery can mutate something normal. Think about, you know, Michael Fassbender and his wife, are continually having lover spats, which would not be any big thing. But when you couple it with slavery, suddenly it forms this just horrible storm that these mm -hmm. poor slaves are drawn into. 
Yeah, so a marital dispute leads to a whipping. It's it's terrible. Um, I'm being really loud right now. Sorry. I'm uh, excited you know, about it. Just so or also, I, I really okay. love, obviously, a Tess mentioned what's probably could be the scene of the year of Ejiofor literally just hanging by his neck, just clinging to life for an entire day as people go about their business, not thinking about it. So it's, yeah, it's about rot. I love that shot when he's first captured and calling for help, and we just zoom over the building, and we see, you know, old 1800s uh, Washington, D.C. And so, yeah, just this kind of quiet, complicit system that allows it to happen. So it's not just about misery, but also about what a weird, just dysfunctional, terrible, Mm -hmm. sinister thing it is. And, yeah, and the acting's phenomenal. So what else can I say? It's It's a great movie. I want to give myself a pat on the back for talking about it without mentioning Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm so proud of you. But now I did. <laughs> Uh-oh, too late. <laughs> okay, so my number four is also 12 Years a Slave, which uh, much has been said about it. A couple things I want to say. Um, it's very well done. There are some problems with it. There are some script problems. The Brad Pitt character is kind of distracting. The Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch character is definitely distracting. Terrible um, It... It was a very well-made movie, but it missed the mark on uh, many things it could have done. Uh, for people who, who say, oh, there's not too many things made about slavery, and that's why this is one of the things that's very well done, so everybody should see it, uh, I highly recommend they go see Salman Northrop's Odyssey, which is a PBS production, which kind of talks about the full scope and the full um, influence of Salman Northrop. I was a little annoyed. Well... I guess this was just a, uh, a recreation of his m- uh, memoir, but I felt like they could have done a little bit more with the Salman Northrop character because he actually, uh, beyond writing the memoir, he had a lot more to do in the history of slavery and the history of abolitionist movement. Um, I didn't learn about this in high school, but when I went and took a history class in junior college after I finished <laughs> film school, um, you know, real history class, uh, they, they did talk about this and they did teach about this. and. Um, it's incredibly important, and I just feel like, oh, man, the, they missed an opportunity with this brilliant movie, uh, well-directed, well-produced movie, to talk about that, or even just mention it maybe in a footnote in the last five minutes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's my number four. Um, okay. But uh, I <laughs> guess I don't have any way to wrap this up, <laughs> so I'll just say okie dokie. Ben's turn. I will do my number three. My number three is Inside Lewin Davis. Um, you know, as it's been brought up before, very good movie about, you know, a struggling folk artist in the 60s. And, you know, it, it, it shows how hard his life is, but mainly because throughout the entire movie, he never does himself a single favor. Yep. Um, every time he has a chance to, like, you know, play nice to someone or... Um, just do something that's good for himself, or like at one point he uh, he signs away his royalty rights to a song that will most likely make him lots and lots of money, uh, simply because he just needs a couple bucks like today, because he just can't think far into the future. Mm-hmm. And you know, while this is a very good uh, character portrait, you know, with lots of wonderful, wonderful music the whole way through, um, and it's, you know, it's enjoyable to watch from that pr- perspective. And but I think what's really going on here is it's so, there's something deeper going on and where the Coen brothers are saying, we all have this like idealistic uh, perspective where we don't want any of our musicians and our artists to compromise. We want them to be pure in their artistic expression and you know sing the songs from the heart. 
And here's a guy who doesn't compromise at all, sings the songs from his heart, and is an asshole and doesn't get anywhere in life. That is such a good point. So uh, what are you going to do? But it's (laughs) very well done, very very enjoyable, lovely music, excellent acting. It's good. It's my number three. Wow. I was impressed with that. I kind of like the movie a little more now. Yeah, that, that came up in a, that. a talk the other night, and I'm like, that's a really Lewin. great point. I hated Lewin Davis. Oh, yeah, he's an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> it didn't even make my top ten. Anyway, um, so we're at number three. Um, my number three is Her. Um, I, I want to have a lot to say about this movie, um, but I know other people will probably say it better. I do want to say that um, with Scarlett Johansson, should have gotten nominated for her voice performance. Here, it was here. incredible. Agreed. It was only it was warm. Supporting actress performance yeah. of the year where I sit. It was warm. It was she she took she she actually had like a physical space as a voice actress. Like you felt her presence. And th- the way it was shot too also made it kind of feel like she was there like as an actual person. And that's why the, there's a scene where she has like a surrogate body that someone wants to, you know, help their relationship with but anyway um and it just it something about it felt wrong like because you you see her and you go i know that's not her and because she has so so much her own she she feels like she has a body um so yeah uh her number three fantastic my number three is 12 Years a Slave, and I have a lot of the same uh, agreements with Brady and Rob with regards to how they saw this film. I feel like it is meant to make you feel not much by the end of it. And, 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 and not in a bad way, but it's meant to numb you out. It's driven with the dubstep undertones in the thematic music to numb you out. And it is a very bleak and correct look at Virginia. I have family from Virginia. Um, it's a very interesting film. Uh, Edge of Four is amazing. Um, I agree with Brady um, that well, actually, it was it was uh, Ben and Tess that brought this up, and Brady and I have talked about it. That uh, Brad Pitt and Rob mentioned it also. Okay, everybody mentioned it. I didn't talk about Brad Pitt, but say your point. Oh, well, uh, he's the weak wheel of the film, and his performance is the weak wheel of the film. And if, like, Christopher Plummer or somebody like that was doing that 10-minute performance, I'd say there was a much more likelihood that Fassbender wins that award. But yeah. I, th- I think Fassbender's phenomenal, and I think the film doesn't get made without Pitt, so you can't really fault him for being there. It's a great movie. Um, hard to watch. I'll never watch it again, but it's my number three. Very nice. Okay. Uh, my number three, and this guy This guy is the movie that, when I think about it, I'm not even so sure it's not the best movie of the year. This one's going to, I'm going to be watching this a lot, which is interesting because it's kind of a miserable movie. It's Inside Lewin Davis, uh, and I, I absolutely adore this movie. Yeah, I'll echo what Ben says. It's about a guy who doesn't do himself any favors. It's kind of, the Coens lately with No Country and A Serious Man uh, are very interested in character studies that kind of take on the nature of the universe. Is the universe benevolent? Is it kind of sinister? And, you know, in A Serious Man, it's like, is God fucking with this guy? <laughs> but in this movie, it's clearly, and what's really cool about it is this becomes more and more apparent as we go on, it's clearly a universe that he creates, a fucked up universe that he's filled. 
with uh, with just bad vibes, bad karma, bad relationships, bad sexual one night stands, people who want to punch him, and that's his audience. He's wondering why he can't become bigger, but the audience is filled with you know either people who just kind of wish him well but worry about him, or people who just straight up want to kick his ass. <laughs> um, and so all of that sinister stuff is just yeah. beautifully leavened. Is that word again? I'm, leavened is my word of the week. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's beautifully leavened with uh, beautiful music because he is a really talented musician. And, uh, yeah, so I, I won't go on too much longer, but I want to say just because Ben mentioned the issue of compromise, I think it's a really interesting double feature with Francis Ha. Uh, Francis Ha being a movie also about a drifting character who wants to do something artistic with their lives. But Francis is about someone learning to compromise. You know, at the end of Francis Ha... We see her name won't fit in the mailbox, so she just says, well, that's okay. I'll just have part of my name in the mailbox. If that was Lewin, he would trash the mailbox and bitch out the landlord. <laughs> uh, uh, you, were, you were right, sir. <laughs> anyway, I, I love this film. Uh, yeah, it's, it, Lewin this could da. easily go higher in years to come. Uh, and I love the Coens, so there it is. Lewin Da. <laughs> Lewin Da. Lewin Da. What the fuck, Lewin Da? <laughs> That's not my name. The sequel inside Lewin <laughs> Do they have a baby together, Francis Ha and Lewin Davis? Because I don't want to see that Duh. child. Does. All right. So my number three is Her. Uh, very interesting movie. I think the most takeaway of this movie is like I, I mentioned it to my dad. I'm like, did you mom go see Her? It's a great movie. And he's like, that movie? Like, why would I see? Like, I find the premise unbelievable, right? Because the premise is the same as Simone. And I'm like. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, no, the premise is kind of unbelievable because, you know, having a relationship with a computer, you think of it outside of the movie and you go like, how would that even work? But the movie <laughs> does such a great job of setting up um, how in the near future, you know, the technology and the way we interact with each other is very much like the way we interact with real people is very much the same as the way the main character inter interacts with his OS. And uh, they, they set up kind of, uh, you know, meaningless sex, but through the internet, meaningless sex, but in person, and they lay them next to each other and show you, see, look, this isn't all that different, so it's not that far-fetched. And they do a very good job of doing that in a, a nice truncated way before they get into it. Now, I do believe that this movie kind of had a little bit of fat that could have been cut out, but it's hard to point to any one thing because it says so many things at once. Um, it's just kind of a stellar movie. It's a pastiche of various different themes. And um, it deals with loss, it deals with connection, it deals with um, commiseration through loss. Just so much to it, and in order for me to explain it any better, I would have to see it more times. <laughs> so, um, Fair enough. that's my number three. <laughs> All right, well, uh, to reiterate a point, my number two is her. I, I got it so far, I got higher than anyone else who's mentioned it. Yeah! Mm -hmm. Um... I, well, we still got Brady to come, so yeah, we'll that'll see. be the last time it comes Stop up. Stop getting high on the podcast, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, what I want to say about the film is that uh, it's an interesting look at sort of the evolution of our relationship with our devices. Because even now, people are walking around constantly just looking at their device. You know, people at a party pull out their phones and start playing on their phones. You're on. You look on. You know your commuter train, like the BART train around here. Everyone's on their phone. Everyone's with their device. And I can see in the near future where the programming is sophisticated enough where you can have a fully realized 
person, character, like uh, like Samantha, as voiced excellently by Scarlett Johansson. Like she's a full person. She's got richness. She's got uh, complexity. She has her own ideas. Uh, she has empathy, and uh, I I totally see it's possible. Like in twenty years or so, when these come around, that people could actually feel the love of a real relationship with these things. I think it also says a bunch of other th things that are kind of cool in the sense that like, you know, in the today's political climate talking about sexuality, you know, there's a huge debate of whether or not it's okay to love a member of the same sex. It's a huge political you know, sticking point. And here we have not only is someone in love with like not a person, but like an inanimate object, which actually has personality. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting take on it, and mean, and just it's such a well done movie. The acting's so well done. The near future fashion styles are like yeah. close to what we look like, but like you know the waists are too high. I love the high waist pants. Yeah, so ridiculous. You know, it's just it's just it's a, they did a good job of world building, and mm -hmm. despite all of these like the weird situation of he's in love with a computer program, it really is a love story. It's about he meets a girl who just happens to not have a body. And they have a love story. Aww. That's great. Aww. That's my number two. And it's also important to note that it's not tied directly to him because other people in the movie are also having said relationships. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a cultural phenomenon. And they give him like a weird percentage of the amount of actual relationships that exist. And like just the thought that went into that is like so, so up my street. Anyway, um, my number two, Francis Ha. Do you ever see a movie and think that somebody followed you around writing down all the stuff that you did and said for like a year <laughs> that was me watching francis ha <laughs> this shit was like somebody wrote this for tess they were like i'm gonna make a movie for you and that's why it's so high on my list i i thought it was funny i thought it was an excellent slice of life story um the interactions that she has with her friends feel like real interactions that you have with your friends. Um, the scene where she's, uh, she, they're, I think they're talking about like what they're going to do today or something. And like they have a bunch of stuff to do. And then it just cuts to them like on the sofa watching TV. And like that's their crazy ass day. Like, <laughs> it's Chinese so, food. yeah. Oh, no, it was, what was it? It was like the friend like jumps on the bed and is like, and she's like, you're so crazy. And then it just cuts to them watching TV. Like, yeah, you're, you're a real killer there, guy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just am really excited about this movie. They go to Sacramento. She's like from Sacramento. It's really funny. That's just so perfect. She leaves New York to go visit her family there. <laughs> Sacramento and yeah. Paris. Yeah, Those are yeah. The two that she go that she visits Sacramento and Paris. Excellent point. Um, yeah, and then just the the friendship story that you know she she kind of she doesn't exactly lose the friend, but she's kind of in this process of like maybe she might, and it just shows the way that like relationships change as you get older. Um, I feel also that you know being twenty seven is a lot different than being thirty, so I have a lot of perspective on that. So it's almost kind of like looking back on something that felt like a really, really long time ago, but really it wasn't that long ago. It's just like there's there's such an emotional it's such a like an emotionally different time for for people, you know, with the with the white the white guy problems. So anyway, right. Francis Ha. Movie movie for Tess. My number two is Inside <laughs> Lewin Davis. Um 
I watched this film with Ben and Brady. Although I know Brady has seen it multiple times, twice, and I loved um, so many aspects of it. The cinematography was gorgeous. Um, the film editing was phenomenal, and I would say my favorite film editing of the year, second favorite film editing of the year. And I also love Oscar Isaac, who is not an actor. He is a Yale music major, um, which explains why he's so good, because Yale has the best acting in the world, and he's in the best music program in the world. So there we are. Um, his performance is great. Uh, some of the things Ben said really hit home. He's He's stark, he's distant, he's an affable kind of personality type, but the second he opens his mouth, everything out of it is just venomous and nasty. And it's, it's, it, You might as well have a how-to manual, How to Destroy Your Career in 10 Days by Lewin Davis. <laughs> yeah, the world is shit, but that's because he keeps shitting on the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like... It, Taking a dump in his pool. Yeah, it's, 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 it's cyclical karma. There's, there's a scene in it that's so... The cyclical karma, there's a scene in it that's so very, um, just incredibly impactful where uh, they pull over off the side of the road on the freeway, they get pulled over by a police officer, and um, Lewin is in the passenger seat, and John Goodman, who is a diabetic jazz musician, is in the back seat, and he's passed out, and he's sick, and I the believe heroin addict jazz musician. Heroin addict, thank you, and, uh, as well, and he gets taken away. And uh, the driver does. And it leaves John Goodman in the back asleep with Lewin. And Lewin just looks around. And there's this beautiful, beautiful moment where he opens the door and he looks to the road and he sees all the trees and he looks to the freeway and it literally looks like the river Styx. I mean, it, it's an amazing metaphor. And, and he's about to, like, open the door for John Goodman possibly and the cat comes up with its paw and he slams the door in the cat's face. It's the only thing on the planet that loves him. And he's running away from it. And it's a great, it's a great movie. I have the soundtrack. I've already learned to play four of the songs. Okay, since you brought that up, and I'm not going to get to talk about Lewin Davis again, because I did a really quick uh, kind of dreamlike <laughs> review of it. But um, by the way, when he slams the door on the cat, that brings us back to earlier when they say Lewin is the cat, and he's slamming the door on himself. Anyway. Yeah, and when, when he when he slams the door on the cat to basically abandon it, it's not just like, oh, he closes the door, oops, the cat's inside. He actually looks at the cat, thinks about it for a minute, and then intentionally decides to abandon the cat. Oh, yeah. And it just sort of, like you said, great metaphor for just, you know, his character and impact on the world. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I literally have learned four of the songs from that record. It's, it's awesome. Nice. Yeah, it's a fantastic soundtrack. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, my number two, my number two, Ben knows what's coming. Number two. Uh, my number two is Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity. Uh, and, you know, I don't really need to say the stuff that's already been said, which is, yes, it is a groundbreaking uh, cinematic uh, visual masterpiece. And not just groundbreaking in it looks really cool. Masterpiece again? Uh, Cuaron, like, yes. I think the story is Cuaron went to James Cameron and was like, I've got these ideas, like things I want to show, but... The technology doesn't exist to show them. He's like, well, I guess I'll just invent something. I'll just, <laughs> I'll like literally jerry rig new cinematic technologies to make my movie. And so, like, actually, that's I uh, I looked into that, and that's a misnomer. A mis, well, anyway, a mis inventing <laughs> new technologies <laughs> is a misnomer. He doesn't actually invent new. Don't you dare! 
Um, so <laughs> no, but what I what I really want to say though is like, yeah, we all know it's a, a graphic uh, marble, but what I like about it is sort of this. The metaphor I've been using is because of this movie, we can now have a kitchen sink drama that takes place in the center of the earth. <laughs> I love that we've taken groundbreaking technology, beautiful cinematography. Made by, uh, in my opinion, the finest cinematographer working, Emmanuel Lubezki, who's young as shit. He's just getting started, and he's best in the business. Um, and it, basically anchoring it to what you'd find in a short story. Like it really, it's a, a short story. Uh, and that's, I'll say about the script, because I agree the script is the weakest part. But I don't think it's weak. I think it's just meant to be minimal. The story is just meant to give you the bare amount of information. Woman had a tragedy happen. Woman lost her kid. Woman is very sad. And it pairs that with a survival story so that what we have is not just a rip-roaring adventure, but also one that has an emotional component about someone finally learning to move on, finally wanting to go to Earth. It's a movie about going to Earth, and it's a movie about wanting to be on Earth. And, it's and a, I, I think that's fantastic. It's also a movie about the gravity of that transformation. Yeah. And gravity, and, bec- and being unhinged and floating and... Get it together, and yeah, it's. I meant the gravity I, it's of the that most transformation. Movie of the year for me. Can uh, I say I something it. really quick about gravity? So th- Brady had that same day watched Barbarella, and there's like at the opening scene is her like taking off a spacesuit and floating in space, all sexy like. So when you see Sandra Bullock like taking off her spacesuit and floating in space, I was like, Barbarella. <laughs> That's a terrible movie. I by know. The way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so my number Very two. Nice. My number two is Blue Jasmine. Um, this this film kind of hits close to home for me because my mom's kind of like that. I mean, she oh doesn't geez. she doesn't drink Stoli martinis. She drinks white wine, and she doesn't like pop Xanax. You know, it's only when she broke her wrist and she took pain pills for a legitimate reason. She's not a crazy addict, and uh, she only talks to herself a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> 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 but she talks to people who aren't listening all the right. time. She will ramble on and this and that and the other. Um, the reason Blue Jasmine's, uh, I think it's so amazing, is because that movie fucking stuck with me for days. I just kept this. thinking about it. Oh, my mom will never listen to anything I do. <laughs> no, seriously, like she couldn't come to our show because uh, she had to pack for something three days later. Um, anyway. <laughs> right. Right. But she has no idea that I do things. Um, <laughs> That's so sad. What were you saying? So anyway, Blue Jasmine really stuck with me uh, for days afterwards. I think just uh, uh, fucking Kate Blanchett's going to win for that, by the way. And if she doesn't, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but no, I think it's pretty much in the bag. Uh, yeah, such an incredible acting performance. Um you know, and then taking this, okay, there's this viewpoint from the rich and from the people who are privileged, especially ones who don't work and attach themselves to rich and privileged people who may or may not be corrupt. Uh, the way they look at people who are normal, they look like failures. And the way this movie um, kind of places a mirror between the perceived failure uh, to, shit, what's the main lead actress's? Um, oh, Jasmine? Oh, Jasmine. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, or Jeanette. Jeanette. Yeah. The, okay, the mirror between Jeanette, and she's looking at them as failures, and then uh, totally not seeing her own reflection that is the failure of her life completely, uh, even though she was once a success, but a false one. So anyway, that's kind of how the movie goes. It's hard to articulate, but uh, you just have to see it. 
I watched it uh, in a room on a 17-inch screen with my face about three inches away from it, total darkness, and headphones, and a, a, a nice bowl of pipe weed, uh, like, <laughs> you know, Lord of the Rings. And it was amazing. Amazing. And also, Danny Trejo's in there some way. Check out our site. I, I put the little uh, clip of Danny Trejo wa- walking across the camera. Anyway. I wanted to piggyback on that, Rob, because I know we yeah, yeah. talked about it earlier, and it is the first film that has ever existed that has actually shown us the progression from anybody in any cast of society going through every rung of society until they back. until they until they hit the level of homelessness and it's like the how-to version of how to make a homeless person and mm-hmm. it is but seriously it is the first film to have ever done that with a character yeah and especially it's since she amazing. starts at one place loses it goes back to that place and loses it. Yeah. It's, it's the oscillating sine wave of, mm-hmm. of Jasmine's life. That's an Absolutely. excellent insight, guys. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, moving on to my number one movie of the year. And I am going to go higher than anyone else has gone, and I'm going Gravity, number one. Because hey. <laughs> I felt that the technological success they had in terms of really showing us uh, you know, these zero G's and all that kind of stuff um, added meaning to the film. Like a lot of people liked the film when it came out because it wasn't an avatar style. Look at our flashy visual effects with no story underneath. But there was a very good story. And the cinematography, as as Brady uh, excellently uh, you know brought up, um, used that technology to add meaning to the film. Like I, the one one of the shots in specific I want to talk about is uh, early in the film, um, right after like the initial space disaster happens, uh, Sandra Bullock is flinging through space, just unhinged, just flying off into space, rotating around. And the cinematography starts off you know, very wide, um, showing her just spinning around. And then the camera starts to match her spin, and the world is spinning around her, and we're, we're, we're brought into her perspective. And then it zooms all the way in until we're close up right on her eyes inside her her mask uh inside of her suit like dealing with the chaos and the the panic like as we hear her loose uh, radio contact with uh, george clooney's character and her finally start to breathe again and then the camera starts to pan out and we see her spinning around and then it finally stops rotating with her and it's like this wonderful long shot where the the technology allowed for that shot to happen but it was the skill and talent of the cinematographer and director that added meaning to it. And you know, throughout the movie, there, I think there's a lot of great um, themes that the cinematography pulls out, like the rebirth themes, the, the trying to survive themes. And it's not just this one woman trying to survive. It's mankind surviving and triumphing. It, it, we had to go to a place that was the most inhospitable to life ever, like the blackness of space, the vacuum of space, Yet there's so many evolutionary rebirth scenes. I mean, at the end of the movie, when she gets back to Earth, um, the shots in there to me really, really clearly pulled out these evolution themes where she's Mm -hmm. crawling out of the water on her hands and knees and eventually stands up to become the powerful man, woman, human character, you know, triumphing over the, you know, the harshness of life or whatever it is. So I, to me, I just like, you know, I watched it like a second time, like several days after the first time. And I was just as blown away that time. And I'm actually really mad at Amazon right now because I 
pre-ordered it and it should have arrived on Tuesday and stupid UPS couldn't, can't figure out how to deliver things to my address and so I still don't have it. By the way, you mentioned sound in there. I just want to do a little tidbit side note. Sound design in that movie was amazing. The sound design in Lewin Davis was also amazing. Same guy. Wow. Oh, wow. Very oh, nice. Okay. Wow. Awesome. Um, so... Yes. Uh, my number Says the one. Sound man. I like to uh. I like to rock the boat a little bit. Awesome. Pick things that you know not everybody not everyone's gonna appreciate my number one. Hey, you're not. But uh, awesome. you're number one. I think that um, that it's really uh, one of the best film experiences I had this year. The World's End. Yeah. Um, the fi- as we mentioned, the final in the Coronetto trilogy which is not an actual trilogy, but a trilogy of um, genre spoofs. Uh, the first being, as you may know, um, it was uh, which one? Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the I Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead. Which actually scared me when the first time I saw it. Like, I didn't see the whole thing for a really long time because I couldn't handle it. One of the best zombie <laughs> movies of all time. It really is. It's oh. so good. So good. Uh, and a great genre spoof. And then um, number two is Hot Fuzz, a cop... Uh, buddy cop parody which is um, absolutely hilarious um, and then finally a alien invasion film um, that had a, it felt a lot like the story it was most taking from was uh, the invasion of the body snatchers the one with the pod people that's a good one um, which I love also so it was really fun to see like the nod to that um, cool but it's also about addiction, and it's about um, friendship, and um, also, like me watching Francis Ha, I think it's a good pair there, because it is about nostalgia. Um, and looking back on, you know, a time in our life that, that we, we tend to want to remember better than it probably was. Um, and all of his friends that he gets together have a very you know, different memory, a more realistic memory of how things actually were. And I just want to say one of my favorite moments is when he finally gets all the friends together and everyone is having kind of a moment without Simon Pegg's character. Uh, What's his name? Gary Gary King. Um, Everyone is kind of having a little moment without him there. And they're, you know, it felt very warm and... um, really very human and then he comes back and they're all kind of like oh boy here we go (laughs) so they're you know he he, yeah he got he got these these four friends back together who hadn't seen each other in a long time and you actually see like a lot of kinship and and fondness there and they're like maybe this wasn't such a bad idea you go god here's gary like it was just such a phenomenal movie i could literally go on forever touch on his (laughs) Touch well, okay. So something I, I would like uh-huh. to, about that Stop movie. Stop telling Tess to touch what? things. Touch, <laughs> touch things. Hey, Brady's the one that talked about like you know Lawrence in the face and all that. So that's that wasn't me. Well, what did you want me to touch on? Uh, the, his his car, his car, and the music oh, he's listening to. In oh yeah, car. he's got the old mixtape. Oh my god, like the same thing. And then it's like also, the... um, I can't talk about this movie also without talking about the actual. Um, direction of um, I'm looking at Brady here. What's his Edgar name? Wright. Edgar Wright, uh, who also did um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, mm. and in 
the same way he's got these just crazy bombastic fight scenes that like the first time they happen you're like what the hell is going on and um but they were like just really fun to watch um ridiculous to watch the way the different guys like fight <laughs> yeah great whip pan one like whip pan using to create the sense of a single uh, shot yeah yeah no it's so and it was just it was hugely fun to watch and um the ending felt a little sudden to me but i think that it really worked um and again i've been talking about this for so long and i haven't said the the name martin freeman you guys martin freeman congratulations Pat. he was awesome I'm one of the back. I mean, I didn't have it on my top ten, but definitely one of the best comedies of the year. Oh, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Let's cruise along to uh, Ross. Martin Freeman. It's interesting, Tess, because your number ten is my number one, and my <laughs> number ten is your number one. Oh, wow. So I thought that was really cool. Symmetry. And if you put them together, it's 101, which is an anagram. Which is two. I mean, a palindrome. Which is a power number. No. I'm, so my number one's American Hustle. Um, it's my number one for... For a lot of theatrical reasons, not for film reasons, uh, being a theater performer and watching a film with five huge, big-budget actors in a not-so-huge-budget film with, like, three weeks to actually play with each other and rehearse and delve into character and ask questions and play around and make mistakes and be messy and not be perfect is why I go see movies. It's the only reason I go see movies. That and... Anything by Hayao Miyazaki, which is a complete aside. <laughs> and it is a beautiful orchestration of play and drama and dialogue and listening. The actors, all of them are great listeners. And it's patient. And the script is about um, the, ped the pedantic everyday of how we have to deal with these things that we have to deal with as people in our lives and the individuals. And it wraps that up in a very interesting web that Christian Bale's character gets caught up in inside of him having to deal with the FBI and his place of business and his relationship all at the same time. And these things start falling apart around him and he has to start trying to clean them up. And the dialogue is very, very reminiscent of that because Bradley Cooper, who basically puts Christian Bale in a pinch in the film, is his dialogue is very sloppy and it's very fast and it's very da -da 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 -da, like darts and Christian Bale's is starts the conversation starts in one direction and then moves around into another direction and it's incredibly well written for something that looks as simple as it is it's deceptively simple which is why it goes over most people's heads I've seen it three times and it's a great film Amy Adams is amazing I think Christian Bale the best performance I've seen this year by a male actor um, Jennifer Lawrence, the best supporting actress performance I've seen, um, and I haven't seen Blue is the Warmest Color, and, um, and Jeremy Renner, who absolutely got robbed of a nomination, who is phenomenal. I agree with that. And it's, it's a really good movie. You know, I, I agree with, you know. I think, I think you and I see this movie somewhat similar, that we both give it more credit than other people do. I, some people see it like meandering, and I think there's a lot more structure to it, like you were saying. So, I mean, I just, I, we're both giving it a lot more credit than other people uh, have given it. Kudos to you and us, Ben. Right. I mean, honestly, it's got a play mm -hmm. structure to it. So people that don't watch plays or people that don't get that the conflict is in what they're saying to each other, not in lots of explosions or running sequences or people grabbing knives, that's what they're missing because that's what it's about. Well, I mean, they're not going for glory. They're going, well, one character is going for glory. The rest of them are just trying to survive. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. It's about the survival of communication. Yeah, no, I, I really liked it a lot. Le- the fact that it didn't make my top ten, uh, let me be clear. I, I, I'll say I love it. I, lo- I love the Marshmallows. Would you be okay if it actually won the best picture tomorrow? It, it would be the wrong choice in my opinion, but it would be the best best picture winner to win since The Hurt Locker. It, okay. It's, it plows through the King's Speech and Argo and the artist, honestly. Okay. Argo and Hurt Locker. Win? Argo won last year. Are you Argo kidding me? Yeah. Like I, I must have blocked book. that my mind Argo. what a disaster I, I, don't, I don't care if this loses us fans because we don't have any Argo <laughs> I don't like Argo fuck yourself Argo fuck Argo, itself Argo fuck yourself okay what's your number one Brady okay uh, my number one is uh, Spike Jones's Her uh, I love Spike Jones. let me say for the record he's made four films he's four for four uh, being John Malkovich great Adaptation, great. Mm-hmm. Where the Wild Things Are, I think one of the wisest things ever made about being a kid. And mm-hmm. now really her, eyebrow-y, which... though. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I, I cannot know, comment. Everyone says that movie. I don't want to get off on it, but everyone says that movie's hipster and emo. It's it would a be little kid. All little kids are emo. It would be ill-advised <laughs> to get off on Where the Wild Things Are. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the reason <laughs> I wait, Rob, would it be ill-advised inside Lewin Davis? <laughs> <laughs> Lewin Davis. <laughs> I would not do it on a boat. I would not do it in a moat. I would not do it inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, all right. So, so what about her? So, okay. So, so the real reason I love her has to do with the fact that it has, I think, a beautiful, beautiful interlocking themes, twin themes about uh, societal alienation, dislocation, the way we kind of, you know, with our iPhones and our technology, how that kind of separates us, and then also. A really, really wise, heartfelt, interesting, non-judgmental movie about relationships, all different mm-hmm. kinds of relationships. And so mm-hmm. I love it because it links those two together and it sees alienation in relationships as well as technology. Uh, but in addition to that, as Ben was talking about it, it just does so much right. It's got the best, most subtle production design of the year, one of the most subtly created future universes I've ever seen. It looks beautiful. It's beautifully shot. It has, bar none, the best score of the year by one of my favorite bands, The Arcade Fire, and I really hope it uh, wins uh, tomorrow. It's got that, like, video game that he's playing towards the beginning of the film, which looks really awesome, yeah, where the character starts, like, swearing at him when he's not, like, yeah. using him. It was it's, hilarious. It's funny. It's phenomenally acted. It started a new debate, uh, an Andy Serkis-style debate, about whether a performance that's just voice is worthy of being nominated, and I think it is. I think it is, too. Um and so it just does so much right, and it ends up just being such a, a sweet, uh, bittersweet even, uh, comment on relationships. To me, like, I know a lot of people love Eternal Sunshine, and so do I, but this, I think, is one of the most masterful uh, kind of melancholy movies ever made about relationships. It deserves to stand with uh, Annie Hall in that regard. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. And if I could just throw in one, one last aside, um, if you're going to take this from, like, a science fiction perspective, isn't it great to have a movie where you have sentient like programs come around that don't want to destroy the world that yeah. just want to love it, love us and like wow. be nice to us. It's oh, great. Maybe get onto a different plane of existence. Yeah. Right? Well, they're wise enough to leave us in the end. Yeah. yeah. They just left us alone. Very cool. Yep. Yeah. They didn't wow. start attacking no us. Skynet. And trying to take over the world. No sky. They don't here. fucking have to. <laughs> T2 reference, Ben. I got you. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So I guess it's time for my number one. I get to round it out. Ah, the payback. The thing I get. For, um, wait, I don't need to look this up. I know what my favorite movie of the year is. Um, yeah, I know. That's the payback is I, <laughs> I get to, I get to wrap it up so everybody can cuss at me when, uh, 
when they don't agree. Wrap it up, E. So, my number one pick <laughs> is, of course, as Brady predicted, The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, there's a lot to this. First of all, Noah Hill should get the fucking supporting actor. Jonah no, Hill? Jonah, sorry, Noah Hill. Jonah Hill. Uh, yes. Yeah. Jonah Hill should get the fucking uh, supporting actor for this. He won't. He won't. But um, he uh, basically, the way, and, and possibly DiCaprio too, but he might. Uh, anyway, the way he gloms on and transforms from the typical Jonah Hill character at the beginning of the film to, like, this totally, like, you know, inspired, yeah, yeah, we're going to fucking win, like, um, like Jordan Belfort is uh, kind of trying to tell everybody at the company to be, um, is amazing. And the transformation is great, and it just his comedic timing is wonderful. I can't say enough good things about Jonah Hill. There's this one moment in the Quaalude scene. I, I was re-watching this scene today, and there's this one moment where Jordan Belfort goes, you fuck, you know, because he's pissed at him, and there's this look of sheer terror on his face, sheer tripped out there, like, and it's just so fucking perfect. I, I've never seen anybody give that kind of drug-induced terror look ever, ever. So, anyway, Jonah Hill. The thing I think people miss about this movie, all right, a lot of people do get it that it's satire, um, that it's not a... Okay, first of all, it's not a comedy. It's very funny, but it's not a comedy. Um, we have scenes in there that are basically very clear to the fact that, hey, look, America, this is what you celebrate. This is what you celebrate, and here is what you celebrate in the Raw's form. You still like it? Do you still like it? Do you still think this is a good thing? Are you still going to venerate these people? Look how disgusting this is. Um, it's very much like that. The Rob Reiner character, which people have said shouldn't be in this film sometimes. I've heard that. And I've been like, no, Rob Reiner is us. Rob Reiner is us sitting here looking at this disgusting display of just over excess and craziness and just like, can't you stop? Can't you stop? You got everything in the world. That's absolutely what we're saying when we're uh, sitting here talking straight in the street. But it's not what our media says. It's not what we promote. And, like, this movie delves into that in such a multifaceted way that I, I just can't believe that people don't realize how great it is. It's my number 10. It was pretty great. Made my top 10. I pushed out some other great movies of mine. I really Beats the need hell to out of gravity. It. God. All right. Did we want to do uh, some honorable mentions yeah. now that we've gotten to the end? Well, I guess I'll start with my honorable mention, which um, belongs nowhere near the top 10. Uh, but <laughs> I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Vin Diesel's Riddick. As the the third movie in in which he's you know played the character Riddick, and I just think it's a surprisingly solid sci-fi action movie. You got, I mean, if you just want like a comic book sci-fi thing where you just got an overly muscled and badass hero, cool alien monsters, cool little like mercenaries that he's got to fight against, and some claustrophobic you know tense action scenes, like Riddick's the the movie for you. I thought it was really well done. Uh, I mean, there are some action scenes that make you roll your eyes, but a lot of them are really well done. And yeah, Riddick, shout out. If you like sci-fi, go see it. Cool. Um, I actually have two because you guys brought me around to Lewin Davis during this discussion. It was like not even – I didn't want to put it on my top ten once I got through all the movies I'd seen this year. And now I'm really thinking like maybe there's more to it than, you know – I originally had thought, so everything you guys said about it is what I have to say about it now. 
Um, so that's one my first honorable mention. The one that I originally planned was um, the the one the documentary. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, the act of killing. The act of killing is my official honorable mention. I don't have any documents documentaries on my list. Um, I I haven't seen that many this year, but that was just uh, it was chilling and it was it was surreal. It was just a really strange experience watching that. Um, and the way that, that these, you know, they, they glorify this gangster lifestyle and they, that I'd actually kind of like to see the movie they made. Like, oh, I'm, God, me I'm, too. I'm curious how that actually came out because it looks, it looks bone chilling. Like it looks terrifying. And then you get, you, what surprised me is you actually eventually get a, a character, what is essentially a character arc with one of the, the gangsters, like at the end I don't want to spoil too much, but like the ending was gut wrenching. Um, anyway, that's my honorable mention. Okay. Um, I'm in the same boat as Tess. I have an 11A and an 11B, and basically, <laughs> without taking, uh, without keeping it very simple, um, my 11A is probably her, and uh, my 11B is probably The Hunger Games. Her is number 11 for A for a very, very simple reason, and it's a reason that nobody on the planet should have ever been told about. The critics that reviewed it in the New York and Los Angeles Times, who I adore, please refrain from putting these things in your reviews because it totally, totally tainted the watching experience for me. Knowing that Samantha Morton did the voice for that film during the filming of the movie all the choices Walking Phoenix has made were Samantha Morton, yes, the two-time Academy Award-nominated Samantha Morton actress's performance that affected what you see on Walking Phoenix's face in the movie, and then knowing that was spliced in with a completely different performance that somebody else got to watch and then redo, totally kept me out of the movie the whole time. Hmm. And that isn't, and that isn't because the movie isn't really good. I think if I hadn't known that information, it might even have been in my top three. But mm. knowing that information, it totally took me out of the entire process of being able to settle on where this movie is for me, specifically because it, it's, it's, it's become a dubstep issue. It's, it's do we use the real drummer or do we use the backbeat? Well, maybe you can think of it more about how uh, Scarlett Johansson had to recreate a voice performance and had all of Joaquin Phoenix's performances in front of her and played her performance to match his. So, ah, yeah. you know, maybe that's true. That. Here's, my, here's my policy on this. If I really want to see a movie and I really want it to be good and fresh for me, I don't read a thing about it. Sure. Came into that. Sure, no, I, I, I go to the theater, I say what's, what looks good and starts soon. Sure. I, I, if it's on film spotting, I'll probably catch it out on a torrent. If I'm going to go to a theater... And whatever, I'll just be like, I heard this was good. That's all I want to hear. That's all I no, want to know. Okay. Before well, I, I started dating Brady, I would go to the movies without knowing anything about them. I love that. <laughs> I love that because I saw like this. Um, what the fuck is it? Lives, uh, the lives of others. Oh, because of I that. love that. That movie was amazing, but it wouldn't have been near as amazing as if I had known. Okay. Well, let me play devil's advocate on this. So, with regards to that, um, I feel like with her. Um, there's no way of ever knowing if Johansson just got to listen to the entire Samantha Morton performance and then just did whatever her dandy pleased her. And 
with people knowing that the performance was changed, that's why it's not going to win. It's not going to win because people know that someone was taken out a big name and another big name was put in and there's too much conflict for it to, to win. And so it's not going to. And that's just a reality of the way the director chose to play that game. It, it hurt the film. It All right, film. so let's All get right. rolling around with honorable mentions then. Okay. So yeah, my 11B was Hunger Games because Donald Sutherland's great and so is Philip Seymour Hoffman. All right, honorable mentions. Don't worry, this will be quick. I'm gonna list five, but only talk about one of them. Uh, but big shout out to American Hustle. Big shout out to Spectacular Now, great. Uh, big shout out to Blue Jasmine, that was on a lot of your lists. I agree, fantastic. Uh, big shout out to All Is Lost. Thank you, Cox, for finding room for that Love little dandy things. number. Uh, but the one, Rob, if you want to know why Wolf of Wall Street is great, it's because I had to make the hard Sophie's Choice decision, <laughs> leaving out my favorite fucked up American dream movie of the year in a lot of ways, and that's Spring Breakers. I, I'm a Spring Break. I, I got to say, I, I adore this film. I've seen it more times than any other film this year. Um, I think Franco got robbed. Uh, and should have gotten a supporting nomination. And yeah, I just, I find it consistently mesmerizing. And th the reason I think it's good is I've had different viewing experiences with it uh, each time. Uh, so it can be taken in a lot of ways. It's deceptively uh, deep. And it's also just a fuck ton of fun. Uh, so yeah, Spring Breakers, uh, I highly recommend that. All right. And uh, let me see. I, I also wanted to say um, Hunger Games Catching Fire. And then I also... This is the one I'll talk about a little bit, yeah, a very, very tiny bit. It's uh, a World War Z. World War Z was a good movie. Um, I really haven't heard anybody say it's a good zombie Brains. movie. It's not, it's not <laughs> near as good as um, as 28 Days Later or like Dawn of the Dead or, you know, any of the Shaun early of the uh, George Romero ones. Well, Shaun of the Dead's kind of complete. That, that's just, well, okay. I'm not going to compare World War Z to <laughs> Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> or, yeah. or any George Romero or 28 Days Later. But as far as a movie that was just, we're going to follow one guy and we're not going to have him be with a group of people who have to, like, you know, he has to choose to shoot them in the head or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, a nice one-character story arc that wasn't too fat and it wasn't too slim. It was, it was just about right. And um, I feel like it got looked over. It was, uh, it was a solid uh, B-plus in my book. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I'm a huge zombie fan generally, and World War Z was definitely a pretty cool zombie movie but having it based off the max brooks book which is far and away like the best zombie written fiction i've ever read and uh the movie had absolutely no chance of doing it justice because the book is basically a collection of short stories from around the world as zombies go everywhere <laughs> and it, it's impossible to turn that into a movie so no matter what movie came out, I was going to get disappointed. But other overall, it was, it was pretty good. It had its, like, fast, crazy zombies at the beginning, and then it had an ending sequence where you have got to have fun with some slow zombies. Yeah, and um, always, always. Sneaking more is around less with and stuff. movies, people. More is less. Don't know so much. Yes. All right, guys. Well, I guess that wraps up a Born pretty damn good Arabia. year. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, and the Oscars are on Sunday, so, uh, you know, we'll see how, how much it lined up with uh, all the stuff we said. Inside Lewis Davis. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, this is Grandy, or uh, as Rob knows me as, uh, Grande, or uh, Grando Calrissian. Uh, and I'm here to, uh, to do my top ten for the movies that came out in the year 2013. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> ah, and, and it being a top 10, uh, my last one will be number 10. Um, and the year 2013. Wait, are you going to go from 1 to 10? No, I'm going to start with 10 and then go uh, to 1. Okay, so your first one's going to be number 10. That's what I said. I thought you said your last one, so I was like, wait, what? Oh, details, details. <laughs> uh, so, number 10. Uh, I, I've not watched very many movies uh, this past year of the newer varieties. Um, and so, a lot of these are just where I figure I would put them uh, for all the movies that came out this year. Um, and my number 10 will be A Good Day to Die Hard. Uh, a movie that I didn't see, but... Uh, the first couple of diehards were fantastic, and I imagine this one was also fantastic. Uh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, and so that's my number 10. Uh, yeah, and my number 9 is going to be uh, Monsters University 2. Another movie that I didn't see, but Pixar always puts out really, really good stuff. And I don't think that's Pixar. Wait. No, is. no, wait. I guess it is. Uh, it definitely is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and, and another reason that this is, has to be in my top ten is because I used to work with a gentleman named Richie Gowser at Starbucks here in Emeryville, California. And he got a job working at Pixar and worked on Monsters University, too. Rob might have worked with the gentleman as well. Is it, is it Monsters although, University, too, or is it Monsters 2 or Monsters, Inc. 2, Monsters University or something like that? Uh, it's Monsters University, too. You mean so there's a Monsters University and then a sequel to Monsters University? Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh Pixar sure knows how to make their money. Uh but but <laughs> but Richie worked on the movie so much that his name was in the credits. Uh so that definitely helps boost it up to number nine. Although if I had seen it, I'm sure it would be higher than that because Pixar always does a good job. Uh and my number eight is Riddick, uh, kind of like Die Hard, the the other Riddick movies that they made, like uh, Pitch Black and that other one, uh, were excellently done movies. And maybe this one's not as great as those other ones, just because it's another one in a series. But the way the quality of the first two that they did uh, makes me feel like they probably did a really good job with that one too. And it has a, like a really cool sci-fi story that not everybody does. With like, it's it's not like a mainstream kind of sci-fi thing. They kind of did their own thing, created their own universe, and uh, that's just great. Not enough people appreciate. Are you create a unique thing in a genre uh, like they did with that whole series, um, and? My number seven uh, is The Hunger Games. Um, Catching Fire. Catching Fire, yes. The second one, I imagine. Yeah. The first one was okay. Wasn't a huge fan of it. The second one was much better. Uh, didn't see the second one at all. But uh, but I hear it was a great book series. and uh, so Books were all right. I got to toss it into the category of number seven. Um in the list of movies that I haven't seen. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so my number six is the Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, another movie I didn't see, but it got nominated for 
uh, Best Picture, I want to say, and also uh, the McConaughey guy uh, got nominated for Best Actor, who, again, I haven't seen the movie, but he is my pick for Best Actor. Uh, have you seen True Detective at or, all? No, I have not. No, he's in that, too. He's great. Didn't he be in, like, three or four movies this he past year? He was also in Mud and Wolf of Wall Street. He had a busy year, that guy. Quite. Maybe he'll get Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. I don't think he was nominated for Best Supporting. Oh. Well, he should get on his game. He's like he's like a shoe in for for uh, best actor, though. I think is is the feeling, unless of course DiCaprio somehow gets it. Well, yeah, yeah. I think he's definitely a shoe in for it because like he had the right like class of movie that they love. Uh, the judges. Well, of we'll the see Oscars. in like a week when the Oscars are. Actually. Eight days, Rob. That's not a week. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Dallas Buyers Club. Haven't seen it, but uh, here it's great. Kind of has a lot of uh, things going on in it that I think are relevant in the modern world right now that should be addressed. Uh, not the whole drug dealing thing. That's a different monster, but the rest of it. Uh, so, yeah, number six. <laughs> uh, and my number five is uh, Gravity. Another one I haven't seen, but I heard a lot about. And I've heard a few people relate it to the movie. Uh, what's that movie? Uh, Which movie did they relate it to? You're going to have to. The Space Odyssey. Oh, oh 2001 or... A Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one. And I've tried to watch that one before, and uh, I couldn't get past, like, the first half an hour of it. Oh, you didn't like the monkeys smashing each other with bones? I didn't even get to that part. It well, was that's, like, the first ten minutes. Monkeys finding bones and being like, yes, I can use this to kill other monkeys! All I really seem to remember seeing is, like, those guys in spacesuits, like, floating around. That's after the monkeys. And I missed the whole monkey thing, huh? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> yeah, so Gravity, I hear great things about it. Uh, a couple of good actors, some of my favorite, though it's not Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. No, Sandra Bullock, who was playing with her? Clooney. Yeah, that's right, George Clooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was very yeah Clooney. Good, a couple of good actors, and uh, like special effects are so much more awesome than they used to be. Uh, so, and I, I appreciate space and reality, and so Gravity gets my number five, which makes my number four the. Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, another movie I have not seen. And I've heard bad things about it from almost anybody that has mentioned it to me. Um, but the first one, the first Hobbit movie, I thought was okay. Not like, not great, but... It's not Lord as, of the Rings, it's just The Hobbit. It's not as epic as Lord of the Rings, but it shouldn't be. The, the Hobbit... Uh, 
is a different thing. And I, I love the actual book story of The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. And I think that the movie has done it very good justice. Um, and so I imagine the desolation of smog is just as good as the previous one, which makes it a solid number four and should probably be higher in my list, seeing as I've not seen other some of these other movies that are higher in my list. Uh, <laughs> uh, you haven't but, seen Desolation of Smog either, but, so you know you can you can choose. And I did, uh, making it my number four. And uh, so that would make my number three, Captain Phillips, another movie I've not seen. This is probably one that the Hobbit should have gone ahead of, except that Captain Phillips uh, has Tom Hanks as the leading one of the leading characters. Uh, and any time I've ever seen Tom Hanks do anything, it has been fantastic. Um, did you see Cloud Atlas? No. All right. He was pretty good in that. I saw him do a promo for Cloud Atlas on uh, the Colbert Report. And let me guess, it was fantastic. Oh, uh, it was some of the best thing. I, it was probably, like, the best skit I've seen on anything ever. Uh, it was... But, I mean, you're combining a fantastic, legendary actor with Stephen Colbert, uh... Who uh, a fantastic I kind legendary of feel fake news anchor is a god. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that and it being like a modest story, something about that's actually happening, a little realism to it, uh, and not glorifying um, the, the military or the police or whoever, the whole thing. But I mean, that's just what I'm hearing from uh, people making reviews on Oscar nominated movies because I'm planning on winning a contest tomorrow. So I did a little research. Uh, and so then my Seems number Seems like a good plan. Four. Seems legit. No. My number two is Ender's Game. Wait, what's your number three? That was Captain Phillips. Okay. And your number two is Ender's Game. Ender's Game, yeah. Uh, another one I've not seen, but... About a year ago, I started no less than that. I, I read the Ender's Game book, and probably uh, upon my behest or something like that. And I'm almost done reading the entire series. All eight or nine books, or just the first four? Uh, how about I'm at book nine and just realized that there's four new or er, books that fill in the blanks. No, no, no. It's I'm it's, fiddling with it's the one, four. two, three, four, uh -huh. and then one, two, three, four. Five. So you're at book nine, and then there's like three new ones. Have you read the the book where it's Justice Ender defeated the buggers and is yeah yeah like his year of Ender? Well, it's after Ender Shadow. It's Shadow of the. We'll uh, we'll get uh, into uh, this uh, after you finish here. Yeah yeah. <laughs> All right. No, but Ender's Game was a awesome, awesome, awesome book. And the whole series really is. There's a couple of books that are a little slow, but those are just the ones that really just get into philosophy and, and whatnot. So the slowness is kind of great in itself. But we're talking about the movie. And it, it would have been number one, except I didn't see it. And I know that the way the book was written in its gloriousness, uh, 
could not possibly be translated into a movie in a fantastic way. Uh, and I'll see it one day, and I'm sure it won't be as great as I dream it, as it could be. But, I mean, that's that's the reality, and there's no way they could possibly live up to my expectations. No, Because the no way, way the book is about more emotion. Absolutely. Than, uh, than one and, and thus, my number one, Wolf on Wall Street. For obvious reasons, uh, it's probably the best movie that ever came out in Did 2013. You see that one? Uh, yeah, I, I think I saw it with. Uh, oh, you saw it with me. I just wanted to separate it from all the other movies on your list. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By saying the reason it's number one is because you saw it, and you know how good it is. Well, I've seen like six or seven of the movies in, from the year. Uh, most of them are superhero varieties. Are any of and them on I your list? I was not impressed by any of them. Like Wolverine, Iron Man. Like, yeah, cool stories. Like, I love superhero movies, which I'm really surprised that I didn't have two or three in my top ten. But having watched them, and if I hadn't watched them, they would have been higher. But I watched them. And those <laughs> stories were like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, this isn't exciting. Come on already. But Quaaludes, very exciting, right? Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, like, it had, like, a, a really good cast, lots of people who, like, really played their roles well so that all the different characters, when you saw them, you were like, oh, I wonder what that dude's going to do. So they all kind of carried their own thing, and it was, ex like, a nice excitement about it. And I love the way it was kind of choppy. Like, they would cut a scene and go to something completely different. Um, which, from what I heard from people on the internet explaining why what they thought about it, that was one of the downsides of it. But I thought that was probably one of its biggest strengths. Yeah. Was that, like, it was kind of incoherent. But much it, like it the life of a drug so, addict, so incoherent that it made like fantastic sense. And uh, yeah, excellent movie. Well, does that wrap it up? And my number one. Yeah, that's uh, my whole top ten. One through ten. Woot woot. We'll see how right he is about all that stuff at the Oscars next week. Yeah. 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 Uh, I will be victorious. Yes, sir. Uh, Bitch!